We start the show off, though, taking a look at what is happening south of the border, just south of us. And Len Saunders is with us once again, immigration lawyer. He's based in Blaine, Washington with Blaine Immigration. Len Saunders, thanks so much for being with us. No problem. How are you, Jill? Uh, Very well. How about you? Not too bad. I wanted to talk to you about a few things. Uh, First up, though, uh, Washington State and the number of people vaccinated seems like they are getting that vaccine to where it needs to go and uh, in quite a quick fashion. Absolutely. So a lot of people I know in the state either have been vaccinated for both shots like me or they've had their first shot. So the state's doing a very good job at getting the vaccine out there and vaccinating most of the population. Uh, We also heard uh, earlier today uh, from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control talking about uh, being able to open up travel within the United States for people who have been fully vaccinated. That seems like a very positive step uh, as well. Oh, absolutely. So I read that too. Um, So the CDC has now said that if you're fully vaccinated like me, you don't have to do any tests. You don't have to do any quarantine within, within the U.S. So I think that's really good news going forward. Do you think that will have an impact on the reopening of the border between Canada and the U.S.? It's, it's got to. Like, you know, my, my feeling is for somebody like myself who is fully vaccinated, there should be no risk of me coming to Canada and vacationing or seeing clients. As of right now, even though I can drive north, which I haven't for over a year because I'm a Canadian, I, I would have to do the 14-day quarantine. So it just it makes common sense to stop doing this 14-day quarantine for people like myself who are clearly admissible as Canadians. But I have, I'm zero risk. I'm fully vaccinated. I've been fully vaccinated for two months almost. Uh, Yeah, and you've got to think, too, for people that are pushing for the border to reopen in a safe way, uh, with so much uh, depending on cross-border traffic and cross-border money being spent, uh, that there's got to be a push for that to happen. Well, and I've seen, you know, the Vancouver Canadians are now going to be playing their season down in Portland. The Whitecaps are playing in Utah. You know, for these sports teams to be, and even the Blue Jays over in Ontario are now playing in Florida, for these sports teams to be fleeing Canada, the Canadian government needs to come up with a plan. They can't say, well, the border is going to open eventually. We know that. But they need to start making some exemptions for people who are vaccinated, given the vast amounts of people, at least now in the United States, who have been fully vaccinated or at least have had their first vaccination. Uh, Do you think part of the problem is the fact that the United States is doing such a better job when it comes to getting people vaccinated compared to Canada, which has very, uh, the the numbers are so much smaller? Well, exactly. You know, it's funny. It's gone from Canadians being concerned about Americans going north because of the high numbers of positive cases down there to almost the almost the opposite, right? When I see the numbers over a thousand a few days ago who are tested positive in one day in British Columbia, it's the Americans now who should be concerned about the Canadians entering the U.S. But, you know, as you know, anybody can fly to this country from Canada. There, there's no restrictions. So I think the Canadian government really needs to start looking at how many people in the U.S. are vaccinated and making an exemption for those people going north like me without having to do that 14-day quarantine. There's really no point in having the quarantine if you're zero risk.
Yeah, and especially if uh, and if all it took was for you to show your vaccine card at the border and show, yes, uh, I've been vaccinated. Like you said, I've been vaccinated for two months. Uh, there, what, what's the risk? It's no different than having a Nexus card. I used to drive over sometimes two or three times a day to see clients, to do business, to have lunch, to see family. Why can't I drive up to the border, show them my vaccination card, which I keep in my wallet, and be admitted to Canada without the quarantine. There's no reason why I can't. Uh, there are some stories out, though, uh, as well, that the more contagious and aggressive variants of the virus are being detected more in Washington State, uh, in the Seattle area as well. Do you think that's a concern as far as for people who aren't vaccinated, if that uh, opening things up and, and encouraging more travel could, uh, in fact, uh, perhaps carry those or, or spread that even more? Oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, the exemption shouldn't be just wide open to anybody coming north. I think you have to show that you've been vaccinated, some kind of passport card or something, which the Canadian government can verify that you've had your vaccination and that you're going to be zero risk to Canadians if you enter Canada. Uh, Len, we're going to be talking uh, after uh, we finish up uh, the conversation with you. We're going to be talking once again with the uh, Chamber of Commerce, the head of the Chamber of Commerce uh, with Point Roberts uh, to find out what's happening there. Uh, Any idea from your end as far as uh, if there is going to be any change as far as the isolation and the people there who, who really feel like they've been forgotten? Well, I don't think there will be any change unless, and I, I'm assuming you're talking to Brian Calder, who I know very well, you know, he's fit to be tied that they've been kept in literally a, a jail-like situation in Point Roberts with very little means of getting over to the mainland to where I am unless they have essential travel. So I think, you know, the Canadian government needs to look at these situations where you have these remote areas like Point Roberts. You know, I think one person's been tested positive there in a year. Once again, those residents are zero risk to to Canada. You should allow those people in and out and make some sort of common sense exemptions. Uh, especially since, and looking at one of the other stories, and we touched on this, that uh, everyone age 16 and older in Washington state uh, is going to be eligible to get that vaccine by April 15th. So we're talking in less than two weeks from now. Uh, theoretically, if somehow, if Point Roberts residents can get that vaccine, uh, like you said, if you're of zero risk already, that's even more so uh, that uh, you would think that they would be eligible for some kind of exemption. Exactly. I hear of people literally picking up the phone and calling a pharmacist in Whatcom County, and they can get in the same day and get their uh, their shot. So it's not that difficult in this state or in this county to get a COVID shot, so or at least a vaccination. So I don't see why, you know, if it's so readily available, and I'm assuming most people in Point Roberts would want to have it if they're eligible to come up with, you know, proof of the vaccination, that those people wouldn't be allowed into Canada. All right, Len, we'll leave it there for today. But thanks so much for chatting with us once again. Good to have you back on the show. Have a great weekend. Bye, Jill. Thanks for being with us. It is time now to check in with Jason Tetro, host of the Super Awesome Science Show. Jason, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, it's great to join you. Uh, So many things to get to and and talk about. Let's start with where we are at and the numbers here in BC. We've seen some of the biggest numbers of COVID-19 cases back in a position where uh, in-house dining has been uh, put on hold, has been cancelled until at least April 19th. What are your thoughts on where we are? Well, um, if you remember back at the March 11th, uh, exactly when it was, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry gave us uh, one of her PowerPoint presentations. And I know that people kind of go, "Mm, okay, whatever. Uh, But 
back then, what she told us was that in order for us to be able to reduce the number of infections, we had to go down to 50% of normal. And that may sound a little strange because we've always been told 60% of normal was going to be okay. That's the effect of the variants. The problem is that we've actually gone the opposite direction. We've gone up to about 70% of normal. And if you were to look back in March 11th and you would actually see the, the numbers, they skyrocket. And what we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours, based on the numbers, over 1,000 two days ago, uh, over 800 uh, yesterday, I don't know what it'll be today, we're basically following into that same realm. And so all it's meaning is that we haven't tried to bring it down to 50%. And as a result of that, we're seeing it in the numbers. Uh, so really, we shouldn't have been, shouldn't be surprised where we are right now? No, not at all. Um, and I and I know people out there are probably going, what do you mean not surprised? But it's absolutely true. And there's a really cool app right now, which actually shows you where the cases are in terms of the rates uh, in British Columbia based on different sectors. And you can even see where, uh, you know, people have actually put in that type of uh, uh, restrictions and what it's actually doing. And then you see where it's not being used and how that is actually leading to exponential rises in cases. It's actually quite fascinating. Uh, when you talk about where the numbers were in the slideshow back on March 11th, that was before mm-hmm. spring break. Uh, we know that people did travel uh, during spring break. Uh, my guess is contacts were probably up. Uh, people were seeing other people. Uh, there was the mm-hmm. relaxing of the rule when you were outside uh, that you could be with up to 10 people. And I know a lot of people have been doing that all along anyway. Uh, what do you think about the restrictions? Are the restrictions that are in place right now, are they enough, do you think, to really stop the spread or get those numbers back down? If people follow them, yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's absolutely true. One of the big arguments that I've had with so many people over the last, I'd say, week, uh, and if you go onto my Twitter, at JATetro, you can read it, is the fact that, yes, indeed, 20 to 40-year-olds have been essentially carrying the brunt of the cases that we've been seeing. And in many cases, it has to do with non-compliance. We do know as well that there are essential workers and that there are risks that are being taken. And I get that, which is why we should be always treating them with respect and kindness. But for those who would decide that they still want to go out, um, you know, this is the type of thing that we're going to end up seeing. And what I'm worried about is that three weeks after the spring break is over, we're going to start seeing the intergenerational spread, just like we saw in November after well, everyone remembers Granville Street uh, uh, for Halloween, right? Uh, they sure do, as well as the video that was recently uh, making the rounds, and we were talking about it on this show, uh, the big party at Big White, uh, with people yeah. that uh, had just been laid off and been told uh, that with restaurants closing, uh, they had been laid off. Uh, interesting point to that is a lot of the people that were at that party had been vaccinated or at least had had their one shot. Does that make any difference? So what we're learning right now, and this is based on other areas of the world because I haven't seen any numbers for British Columbia, is that... For every, I'd say, one in uh, 5,000 individuals, there might be what's called a a breakthrough infection. In other words, you might be fully vaccinated or even have one vaccination, and yet you still end up becoming a positive case that can transmit to another person. Um, That's a fairly low number, and it really just comes down to the fact that sometimes people just don't give the right immune response. Now, if they have been vaccinated, if they have waited 15 days after the first vaccination, then there's going to be significantly lower risk. But that doesn't give you the <laughs> doesn't give you the excuse to be able to hang out with a whole bunch of people in the middle of, you know, a crowded environment. It's just you should not be doing that yet.
we were just talking as well uh, with a couple uh, of residents uh, of the states, uh, one in Point Roberts, uh, which is kind of cut off, uh, the other uh, an immigration lawyer in Washington state. He's had both doses, I think, of uh, Moderna, possibly Pfizer. Uh, he's had mm-hmm. both doses. He's had them both. Now he's two months post second shot. Uh, he was mm-hmm. talking about the fact he would like to see Americans or he's Canadian uh, that be able to come across the border and come to Canada because that would be zero risk. Would somebody, apart from that one in 5,000 number, would somebody who's two months past their second shot be zero risk? For the most part, yeah. Uh, Because what we've been seeing with people who have been fully vaccinated is that they may end up having a little bit of virus in them just due to exposure, which we all happen to have with us, um, even with measles, if it comes into our community. Um, But it won't be enough to be able to actually lead to a transmission to another person. What we need, however, is for that, and this is where that herd immunity that we've been talking about for a year comes into play. It's called elimination threshold. And what it means is that there's enough people vaccinated so that if perhaps somebody who has a weaker immune system comes into contact with that individual, they will not become infected simply because the likelihood is very low from other people around. That That's when you're protecting the, the, the vulnerable, as they say. We're not there yet in Canada. So until we get to that point, and it may be um, as early as July 1st, um, then we're going to be able to think about opening up the borders. But until then, it's still going to be, you know, touch and go. Uh, why is it, do you think, is it the variants or why are we seeing and hearing from health officials that younger people are now getting uh, this virus uh, easier and mm-hmm. it's it's becoming worse? We're seeing more hospitalizations in younger groups. Oh, yeah, it's totally the variants. And, and here's why. Um, it's very simple math. More virus equals more bad. And so in the first realm of or the first stage of this particular virus, SARS-CoV-2, it wasn't really adapted perfectly to the human body. So even though it was doing nasty things with, to people with weak immune systems and, you know, these comor- comorbidities or, or pre-existing conditions, for the most part, if you had a nice, strong immune system, you were going to be okay. What has happened is that these variants are now looking much more like the original SARS from 2003, the thing that, you know, was very, very deadly, was killing about 10% of the population that was infecting. And even though it hasn't gotten to that level yet, people who are in that 30 to 50 realm essentially are now getting attacked in such a way that they are having a more severe disease and they are ending up in hospitals and ICUs. Now, we've heard about this to a greater extent in other parts of the country, but this is definitely where BC is heading if you don't start reducing the the contact levels down to that 50% or or lower. My guest is Jason Tetro, the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. We are also opening up the phone lines if you have a question for Jason Tetro, star 9898 and 604-280-9898. Let's go to the phone lines. And Scott is on the line. Good afternoon. Hello. Thank you for taking my call, Jill and Jason. Sure. Do you have a question? I do have a question. With uh, with travel restrictions might be opening up with people that have vaccinations, whether it's mm-hmm. not quarantining or even being allowed into certain areas or countries, do you think they're going to require both shots or just the one? And the reason I ask is because Canada is just dealing out the one right now. It could take mm-hmm. well into the late fall or winter till we some of us get our second one. Yeah, and that is a really good question, uh, because what we now know is that the first shot is going to be about 80% effective. But in order for us to be able to get that passport, we really want it to be up in that 90 to 95%. 
But the thing is, is that because all the vaccines have different efficacy rates, what we may simply do is uh, say, okay, if you can show that you've had both shots, then you'll get this passport. Do I see them coming down to getting a single shot? Not until the Johnson & Johnson has been released, and then we're going to have a discussion about that. All right. Thanks uh, for the phone call. Let's go to Susie on the line. Susie, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just curious. I have uh, some friends that were over spring break up at Whistler, mom, dad, and a teenage son. And um, all three ended up sick when they got back home. Mm -hmm. And similar symptoms. um, Two of the three lost their sense of smell and taste all Mm -hmm. feeling kind of crappy, but no cough. So they were all tested. One came back positive, and the other two are negative. One of those two that was negative has had both doses. How does that happen, that a family with seemingly similar um, symptoms Mm -hmm. don't get the same test result? It all has to do with uh, viral load, which means the amount of virus that's inside of you. So as I said, even if you've got the uh, two doses and you're fully vaccinated, you can still have the virus inside of you. And it will produce a little bit of virus while your immune system is getting ready. Now, one thing that we haven't learned, and you've just given me some great information, is that while it's doing that, could it still have an effect on us? Could it provide us with some symptoms that doesn't necessarily debilitate us, but maybe makes us lose our sense of taste and smell? Um, so that is one possible option. I mean, the, the other is that it may be a false negative and that a second test may actually reveal a positive uh, test. So this is one of those things where I would recommend that the family go back and get retested to see whether or not that really is the case. But there is an explanation for that particular result. All right, Susie, thanks for that question. Let's go to Tyler in Nanaimo. Tyler, do you have a question? Yeah, I appreciate your statement. Thanks for taking my call. Um, i got a couple of friends that are, are in the process of deciding if they're going to take the shot or not because one of them has got fibromyalgia and one of them has sort of hard, hard to diagnose but chronic fatigue syndrome. And just curious if there's any data out there that relates to any kind of oddball diseases or any adverse effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's interesting that you mentioned FM uh, as well as CFS, and and there's also a couple of others that sort of fit into that realm. And one thing that they've also looked at is the idea of what's called uh, transverse myelitis. There doesn't seem to be any kind of um, side effect as a result of the vaccination when you have these conditions. So in that light, I don't believe that there's any concern and that you should definitely think about getting the vaccine. But again, talk with your healthcare professional or provider and, and possibly make sure that, you know, you're doing it through someone who has gone through that particular type of training um, and can help to monitor you afterwards. It, it's the best thing to do. All right. Thanks for that. Let's go to Mark next. Uh, Mark, good afternoon. Hi there. I just wondered, because this is an MRE, uh, you know, vaccine, it's producing the spike protein. Are you going to test positive, like, for COVID or, you know, like Mm -hmm. in the future? No. (laughs) Uh, It's in your arm, and they test your nose. 
the the virus uh the, the, there's no virus to circulate what happens is uh the mrna goes into the cells in your muscles in your arm they ask for permission to create the spike protein if the cell gives permission and doesn't degrade the mrna then you produce the spike protein it comes out but it all stays inside of your arm it doesn't really go anywhere else in that sense so um no you, you don't have to worry about ever uh, testing positive as a result of the vaccine all right, Mark, thanks for that question. Let's go to Peter in North Vancouver. What's your question? Hi. Hi, Hi thank you. Yeah, my, my question has to do with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, uh, I think prevailing wisdom, or at least what we think we know, is that as we age, we, get, we, we become an increased risk for vascular disease, including blood clots and strokes. Mm-hmm. And and so when they come out and they say that we're disallowing the use of AstraZeneca due to blood clot risks for people under 55, mm-hmm. but somehow it's safe for over 55, to me, it seems completely counterintuitive. And <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering what the explanation for is that, because uh, my, my understanding would be if there's a risk of blood clots, it's people over 55 shouldn't take it and mm-hmm. under should. Yeah. And and you know what? That makes absolute sense. Here's the thing. Statistics never really follows logic. And <laughs> you see, when, when AstraZeneca was first developed and tested, it was in the 18 to 55 year olds. So that's where they have the majority of data. And so when the virus, excuse me, when the vaccine was put for approval, uh, they wanted over 65. They just didn't have enough data to prove that. Now they have because of real world data. So basically all the age groups can go. But one thing that has been noticed is that it is in those people who seem to be under the age of 60 who are a bit more likely to have this particular type of condition. I'll get to that in one second. But because of the 18 to 55 rule, they basically have said, do not give it to anyone under the age of 55. That's where that comes from. Secondly, with respect to these clots that they're seeing, it looks like it is a what we call a population rarity. In other words, it wouldn't have been picked up in the trials. You had to vaccinate an entirely large population in the millions before you would have picked this up. And if there is a link, then most likely it is a genetic condition that occurs just simply based on how it's popping up in the population. And so from that perspective, it really isn't that much of a threat for the majority of individuals. And we're finally starting to understand how that can happen. And I'm thinking probably by the end of this month, we'll have the papers so that everybody will know what's going on so that we'll know who to essentially say in the monograph who may or may not want to actually get this particular vaccine. But for the majority of people, and probably including yourself and myself, the AstraZeneca is going to be perfectly fine. All right. Thanks for those calls. My apologies to people on the line that we didn't get to. We are right out of time. Jason Tetro, thank you once again for coming on the program. Great to have you on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Well, we know for the time being there is a public health order in place that bans dining in restaurants, in pubs, in cafes. It has been limited now only to outdoor patios or for people to get takeout as well. But one restaurant in Vancouver is still open and the owner of Gusto, A Taste of Italy, is on the line with us now. Federico Fuoco, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you have kept your restaurant open. How come? Well, because I think this order is totally unfair and it discriminates against our business. I mean, if she did a blanket policy that covered Costco, liquor stores, Walmart, then then even if I was or not in favor of it, 
at least that's a fair policy. But to target us without any science, without any proof, it's irrational. It's not founded in any science. And that's why I said enough is enough. We've gone through a year of this. We were locked down a year ago and we're locked down again without any proof. We have, like, I talked to a restaurateur friend of mine the other day. He spent thousands, thousands on these plexiglass dividers. Myself, I've gone from 40 seats down to 10. Markers on the floor, social distancing. We all did this. And my friend, like I said, he spent thousands on all this stuff. We're doing all the protocols, and that's not good enough, and we're the only ones targeted. And we were blindsided by this thing. They make an announcement Monday at 1 p.m., and then at midnight it goes into effect. Where was the consultation? Where's the science? Where's the proof? You know, he spent $3,000 on produce, meats, poultry, everything else, to, uh, on his um, deliveries on Monday, all gone. All the reservations for this week, the Easter weekend, gone. Done. Who's looking after us? Who's looking after our plate? What we're going through? I mean, and we've had a year of this, and we, you know, this piecemeal approach. We've done everything, and now we finally said, like, enough is enough. Someone has to speak up and say, what's going on here? At least if it was a blanket policy, then I can understand. Like you would understand then, say, if the the big box stores, uh, other stores and places where people can gather inside were, were closed? Yeah, exactly. If it's a blanket policy that covers everybody, whether you agree or not, at least that's fair. But to target us and you know, like to say no warning whatsoever, they did the same thing like on New Year's. You know, the day before they said 8 o'clock on New Year's Eve, you can't serve liquor anymore. Why? The virus knows at 8.01 p.m. it's going gonna, it's gonna to target you? That's when you're going to get the virus? I mean, there's no forewarning. There's no consultation. At least people can prepare for it. But have a fair and balanced blanket policy. Don't just target us without any science or without any proof. I've asked for that. I said, show me the proof. Come and meet with me. Now, I understand they have a job to do, and it's not easy. I get it. But there's been no logic and no fairness in this thing. And I just found... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering. I know you, you've kept your doors open, and as you said, you've gone from 40 seats to uh, less than 10 or about 10 seats. Yeah, are people, less than 10. Yeah, exactly. Are people exactly. still eating inside? Are people coming up and eating in your restaurant? Yes. What are customers saying to you as, you're, as you keep the doors open? They love it. I mean, if someone has a problem with that, I mean, I'm not forcing them to come in. I mean, everybody's being responsible. There's a social distancing. There's uh, everybody's wearing a mask. I have all the, the uh, sanitizer stations there, even though now apparently all these sanitizers can, you know, contain the benzene over the recommended amount, but I still have all that. I mean, we're, we're following all the protocols that they made us go through this whole year where the goalposts keep changing. And finally, to me, this is the last straw because we're the ones being targeted. It's not fair. If they did it to liquor stores, like I said, Costco, Walmart, everything else, then okay, at least it's fair. I can understand that. But why just us when there's no proof of it? But I guess the difference is, or at least when we've asked to put this question to Dr. Bonnie Henry, the difference is that even though there's that recommendation that you should only be going to restaurants with your household or your bubble, it's obvious people have been going with people outside. People have been gathering in groups. You get a few drinks in you. You kind of forget about distancing. I mean, she did say there have been cases of transmission in restaurants. Well, where if there's a case in one restaurant like there is in some of the poultry factories or whatever, then you deal with that. But you don't, you don't punish those that have been following the rules. And come and talk to us. Don't blindside us. I mean, 
Are people not hoarding together, like, when they go shopping? I mean, they're, like, shoulder to shoulder. Have you been to a Costco lately or a superstore? I mean, it's ridiculous. And they say, oh, people aren't, aren't gathering for a long period of time. Really? First of all, I have a time limit on my tables, okay, mm-hmm. just to respect that. So they have to be in and out. So I have a time limit, number one. Number two, what about restaurants that don't have patios? What do they do? What are they going to do? How are they going to feed their families? This affects families. How are they going to put food on the table? My employees that have raised a family, how, how are they going to do that? Do you, you have know, a this, patio this, as well? The effects, I, have, I have a little bit of a patio outdoors, but this is another thing. This is the, the, the discrepancy. Patios are completely enclosed, like indoor dining. That's okay because they're called the patio. What's the difference? They're completely enclosed, but yet they're allowed to have dining in there. <laughs> That's another discrepancy. It makes no sense. Are you concerned at all that other restaurant owners are going to hear you, are going to see what you're doing and get frustrated that here you are not following the rules when most, if not all, other restaurants are? No, I, I've had a lot of support. I think they, they understand that they have to stay in business. Look, these are people that have risked their savings. They've gone, they probably had loans to go into business. They create employment. They create a tax base. We're regulated and taxed to death. And now we get this unfair policy. This is my point, Jill. I'm not, I'm not saying I, want, I don't want to be disrespectful or irresponsible. We have all been very, very responsible with this whole thing. And I get it. I get it. But to just target us where it's completely irrational without the science and without the proof is criminal. It's not right. And someone has to take a stand and people have to wake up and say enough is enough. This doesn't make sense. We're a year into this. And they lock us down again. And come April 19th, you watch. It'll probably be extended. Yeah, I think people you know? are, are bracing for that. Have you, have you heard from a bylaw or have you had any repercussions for this? I can't comment on that because there are legal proce- procedures happening right now. And I saw it, uh, I'm seeking and I'm sought legal counsel. Mm-hmm. So I can't comment on that at this point. But you nobody know, in the future. Can you say even I, if anybody like, oh, you can't say if somebody's come and said, hey, Frederico, this is against the public health order. You need to shut this down. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't comment on that. Sorry. I just I just can't because of legalities. But having said that, I mean, like, like I said, I don't want to I'm not doing this out of disrespect. I'm doing this because it's not fair. All right. And it's affecting livelihoods and it's not a blanket policy. If it was, then I'd have a lot more respect for it. And I just found out, I don't know if it's true or not, you know, and I'd like, to, I'd like you guys to maybe do some investigative reporting. But, you know, there's things flying around saying that Bonnie Henry is part owner of a, a winery or has shares in one or whatever. And lo and behold, they got an exemption to have tastings in there. And that's good. I'm glad they did. I'm not jealous of that. I'm not against that. But my point is, why do they get exemptions and restaurants don't? See, uh, the hypocrisy here yeah. is astounding to me. All right. I mean, I don't have to do a lot of investigation. I can f- confirm, yes, she is part owner of a, of a winery. I don't know exactly which one. But I, people have asked that question as well, uh, especially with the exemption uh, for the tastings. Uh, that question has been asked uh, a couple of times uh, at this point. Uh, what are you going to do then? I, uh, you mentioned that uh, you have legal counsel. Uh, I guess so what, stay open at this point uh, until things change? I intend to be business as usual because I have to put bread on the table for my family and for my employees that they're still employed and that I can conduct business. And that's within our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
That's within our charter of rights and freedoms to conduct business freely and openly without this irrational, and it's unlawful, actually. It's an unlawful order. They have no standing on this order. You know, and uh, to, to that, it's rules for thee, but not for me. To that point about Barney Henry, I'm sorry. You know, the, the, like I said, the hypocrisy is astounding. And like I said, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because this can't be easy to try and govern and to try to deal with this. I get that. But where you're into this, let's be fair about it. Let's uh, be fair about it. Yeah. Are, are you concerned at all? I mean, we've seen similar uh, fights involving churches that also felt the rules were unfair. Uh, they used uh, the argument at the time because restaurants were open, that restaurants were open, uh, Costco, uh, different big, big box stores and areas where people gather as well. Are, are you concerned that, that this is just going to become a huge legal battle and it's going to be an expensive one for you? Uh, yes, of course I'm concerned. But I know I have a lot of support and, you know, I know that I know that I'm on the right side of this. Like I said, look, when, when we say that we are all essential, you know, I mean, why, why are others more essential than others? You know, like, why are certain businesses more essential than others? I mean, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. Like, the, the restrictions should be applied evenly and accordingly. Then I'd have more respect for this. Right. And then and it would make sense. I, I get what you're saying there, too. And essential in that, like you said, you're a business owner, you have staff that depend on their salaries. But I think the difference there would be people would say it's essential to buy groceries. It's not essential to eat at a restaurant. But but again, we are following their whole protocols of the distancing and that, which when you go to these box stores, they're not. <laughs> go to a liquor store. Go check it out. There's no social distancing that's happening in there. Whereas in our environment, it's completely controlled. And it's more hygienic. I mean, we have all the sanitizing equipment. We have all that stuff. We spent tons of money on that. And we're following those rules. So I would say it's way more hygienic in a restaurant and more controlled in a restaurant than all these other environments. So I don't, I don't buy that argument at all. All right, Frederick. Like yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just, uh, like, like I said, People really have to understand the plight of what small businesses are going through. And when it's unfair like this, this is why I'm finally standing up and saying enough is enough. All right, Frederico. Because it's not fair. We're going to leave it there for today. We'll check back with you. But thanks so much for making some time for us. Appreciate it. Jill, listen, I really appreciate you giving me time and that we could shed light on this and what small businesses are going through. Because I don't think enough has been done to shed light on what we are actually going through and what we're dealing with. All right. Every single day. That is, Thank you so much. Take uh, care. All the best to you. All right. Let's check in now with Brian Calder. He is the president of the Point Roberts Chamber of Commerce. Brian, thanks so much for being back on the program. Thank you for covering us and trying to make sense out of our little place down here. Yeah, that's, that's one way of putting it, to, for sure. How are things there right now? Well, we're locked down. Uh, we look with envy, actually, even though we all dread the COVID. Uh, we... Uh, look at other places and we think, gee, that looks normal compared to us because we are locked down. And we, our fire chief has done an absolutely excellent yeoman-like job in getting us vaccinated. And uh, in order, he's got about half of the population vaccinated already with the one and uh, with the one dose of Moderna and about 300 of us with the two shots. And I've had the two shots. But they still um, beat, beat us up at the border. Uh, they're not being friendly at all. Uh, 
for example, we've had a lady here who in her 70s and has had a dentist in Tawasson for 10 years and has an impacted tooth and great pain. Uh, no, can't go and go in. So she chose to lock down. She's had both shots of Moderna. Uh, she could have gone in and out the same day uh, if, if they would have allowed her to go through. So she chose to quarantine with her daughter who and son-in-law and grandkids for 14 days. Uh, why? Why Why on earth are they doing this? Is beyond the pale. I mean, it does not make any sense whatsoever, not serving the community, not serving humanity, and half of us here are Canadian citizens. Uh, has anything changed? Last time we talked to you as well, uh, you were denied entry for a, a doctor's appointment uh, at the border. Has anything changed as far as how you and other residents of Point Roberts uh, are being treated at the border? Not on the ground, it hasn't. Um, they claim they have other forms you can fill out if you check with Ottawa. And, I mean, it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, we, we've had one case in a year. We have the best record in North America, U.S. and Canada, we have the best record, and yet we're treated the worst of everywhere else. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, and all, all I can think of, they're not stupid people, we know that, so they must just don't care, they don't pay attention, they, they haven't looked at us in any meaningful way at all, in any, in any way at all. Uh, we were just chatting with Len Saunders, who's an immigration lawyer. I think you know Len. He's based. I know in, Len very well. Yeah, yeah great yeah. guy. He's based in Blaine, Washington. Uh, he was saying he too has had both of his doses. He's been fully vaccinated for two months. Uh, he would like to see the border opened at least for people who have been vaccinated because they really don't pose a risk. I would imagine that's something that Point Roberts residents would like to see as well. Oh, absolutely, and 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 we would absolutely. I'm I'm I would double mask and wear gloves if I was allowed out. I've got the I'm I'm like Len. I've got both doses, and but going into Canada, I have more to fear than they ever have from coming down here, and and so I would still full, follow full protocol, but for me to have to be denied my glaucoma operation by some guard who reads my doctor's medical professional's letter and says, no, that's not essential. Well, if you can see out of one eye, I guess it's not, and you like doing that, that's probably okay, not essential. I'd prefer to keep both eyes, thanks very much, and I don't need some border guard telling me that my doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, no, uh, absolutely. I, I did reach out last time we talked. I did reach out to CBSA and uh, got the, the form, the standard response of we can't talk about specific cases, even though I was asking uh, in general about uh, residents of Point Roberts. Uh, they did say, though, that, that uh, Canadians, people like yourself who have both uh, dual citizenship, should be exempt for things like uh, medical services, uh, dental appointments, doctor's appointments, uh, medical services, treatments, and that can come to Canada uh, for, to do that and are exempt as well, as we've talked about before, from having to provide that negative test and for, from quarantining. But it sounds like there's still a lot of discretion at the border. Well, there's a, there's a discussion, there's a refusal, there's a rejection, there's a saying, no, go home, or uh, what was I told? I was told that Health Canada will find me if I, if I chose to go through, because they cannot deny you because you are a Canadian citizen, which I am. Uh, but they said they would get, uh, he would immediately 
the officer would immediately phone the RCMP, and he wasn't sure what they would do about it, and uh, or I would have to give them a plan of where I was going to quarantine, or they'd phone Health Canada and they would find me three thousand dollars. And yeah. that's what's happening on the ground. I don't care what they say at head office. It obviously isn't getting down to the ground at the border when we physically appear there. Uh, you've written a letter as well to Canada's Minister of Health, Patty Haidu, about what's happening there. Uh, I know there's been a lot of other media attention of U.S. media outlets. Have you got any response to your letter to the health minister? No, in fairness, it just went out. Um, right. So you, you've, you've got it right like within three days of she would get it. So, uh, no, we have no response yet. Um, but all we're looking for is fair treatment and take a look at us. I mean, uh, the CDC USA has now, I think, of, as of today, said that they're going to allow travel if people have had both shots because they cannot pass it on and they do not carry it. Well, if it works in the USA, it should work in Canada. But there's, there's the, the, the level of fear and ignorance is a bad combination in some people. But I, I get that there's a resentment towards the previous president in the United States because of the way he sort of was isolationist and was not pro-Canada, and there's resentment. I get that. But we're just this little enclave that's half Canadian. Actually, I'd, I'd argue it's even more than half Canadian. Come and take a look at us. We're, we're not the big picture. We know that. We're the little picture. But a society is defined on how, to me anyhow, how they take care of their weakest and most vulnerable. We're in that category. And you're not doing very well as managing society, in my opinion, when you treat people here the way we're being treated, or mistreated, I guess is a better word. Uh, how are things going as far as uh, the grocery store and the, the bare minimum kind of services that are, are still available for residents there? Well, thank heavens for the, the marketplace, the international marketplace. She's staying open and losing money every month. I mean, uh, bless her heart. Uh, and if we didn't have that, we'd have people storming the border. I mean, that's the only thing that keeps us uh, <laughs> subsisting, I guess is the right word. Um, other than that, minimal hours, massive unemployment for for our our size of organization here or, or municipality. It's just it's devastating, and it, it's not improved since we last spoke, and it's not going to improve. I don't believe, and even next time we speak, it, it's just there's no daylight. Uh, no no one's paying attention. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the media the media is paying attention to us. But it's not; it's falling on deaf ears. It sounds like at this point, too, nothing is going to change unless uh, on some level uh, an exemption was granted, although if it, I can't imagine it would happen now if it hasn't happened up until this point, uh, that either an exemption is granted or, uh, I mean, it looks like things probably won't change until the border reopens. Well, yeah, but in, in, I think that has to happen incrementally. I don't think it's going to be open the gates uh, overnight. I think, and, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put a plan together, suggestions together, that will work safely to incrementally open that door, open that window, so to speak. Um, so we've offered, to, we'll, we'll fund rapid testing. Our 
Chief Carlton of of the fire department as the cap the chief, uh, who's done a yeoman job on on keeping us as safe as we are, and we are extremely safe COVID wise. To put in a rapid test. The, the unit costs about $10,000. It's from Abbott Laboratories. We've done the research on it. He's got the staff that are licensed to operate it. We'll pay for it, um, we being the private sector, uh, through the Chamber of Commerce here. And we've got up to $50,000 to operate that. And let's do it on a trial basis. The Canadian comes down, he's tested right then and there. Five minutes, you know. You don't, you're not a carrier. You don't have it. You're allowed to come and view your property, fix it, cut the lawn, do you know, the maintenance things, which you've been denied now for a year. All right, Brian, we'll have no to leave response. it. No response. None. We'll have to leave it there. We're right out of time today. I appreciate it. We Thank will you talk very to much, you again. Phil, as always.